You can be seated. Hugely delighted to gather with you before the Father. This is the time in our service where we sit under the preaching of the Word. Uh, Our aim is always to both give honor to God for who He is and what He's done for us, and also to straight up set your heart on fire for Jesus Christ. A heart that is on fire for Jesus Christ has found the ultimate treasure from which to live life, and He causes that to happen in our hearts as we hear and believe His Word. So it's like ambitious what we do in churches every Sunday, to say God is speaking to you right now in His grace, in His love, by His Spirit, and very humbling to you through a sinful and you might be able to preach better than, but that humbles you to see if you will sit under the Word coming through a, a vessel just like you and to say, I am humble enough to receive from God through the means that He gives me. So this week it's my scary, humbling turn to speak God's words to you. Let's pray before we do that. Father, be gracious to us here in Melrose. Be gracious to us in Malden. Be gracious to us in Wakefield as the household of God that is Seven Mile Road gathers to worship you, to sit under your word. You can accomplish eternal change this morning in our souls. And I pray that you would do it through the simple seed of your word planted, that we would receive it really humbly and really happily, and that it would not return void as you promise. So that's our prayer. I pray that you would be gracious to us and answer. Amen. All right, so this is, this is it, the last sermon that we are preaching from this bold and beautiful and fiery and divinely inspired letter written by Jesus' Apostle Paul to the Christians in the churches of Galatia. We're going wicked deep on one verse of Scripture together today. It comes at the very end of a flurry of imperatives. So at this point in the letter, Paul has already dropped what we have as four chapters worth of straight haymaker gospel truth. Very deep and beautiful theological left hooks and right hooks and forearm shivers and crane kicks, and he's just been coming at us. You've received them all year long. Justification by faith. Adoption as sons. Substitutionary atonement. Union with Christ. Wild and awesome sound doctrine. Then he followed that up with those doctrinal foundations having practical outworkings, what a spirit-filled, gospel-centered life looks like. It was more haymakers fighting for holiness, working for unity in the body of Christ, restoring each other gently from sin giving generously to the work of the word in the life of the church. He's been hitting us with commands. And now finally, one last command. This one wraps up everything that he has to say about forging a gospel culture in the life of a church. And here is what he says. This is the first part of the verse. So then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone. 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Okay, let's pause there for a second. So then means what? It means given everything else that I have written so far. Given that everything that I've said about sin and grace and Jesus and the cross and the Spirit is really true. Given that Jesus is alive and the Spirit's been poured out and we have been justified for good by faith, given everything, here's what we should now be about. So then... And what is the action verb that he is calling you to, that he compels us to? So then, let's be about, let's be a people who are known for doing good. Good is the Greek word agathos. It means good in the sense of profitable and upright and generous and virtuous. This is a deep and thick and holy kind of good. So I need you to feel this word before we keep going. This is more than Hallmark card good. This is more than, oh yeah, I bought a couple of boxes of Girl Scouts cookies for my niece. Good. This is more than I threw a fin spot in the collection for the tornado victims. Good. This is more than, there was this lady with this screaming kid. She only had three items. I had nine. I let her cut me in the line. Good. This is not cheap, random acts of kindness every now and then. Good. That's not what this word is. This is costly, self-forgetful, other-centered, truth-anchored, Gospel-driven, grace-formed, good. This is you don't understand. I have been on the receiving end of undeserved and unrepayable goodness from God. And now, I'm going to live a life that bends that kind of good out to others. So this is deep, holy, thick, rich, happy, habitual, good. Be the kind of people who do good. And then what are the two qualifiers that he gives us about doing that good? He says, do good as you've got opportunity and to everyone. So there's a when and a who in here. And I need you to see that he's beginning with the biggest broadest possible when and who. He says that the disposition of your born-again heart should be that you're ready, ready, ready to do good to whoever, whenever. Okay, illustration, and it has been seven weeks since I've mentioned basketball from the front, so my quota is now reset. Okay. One of the top five, actually top like two or three favorite things that I like to do is just is to play pickup. I grew up in Everett. That means that there is not one court within five miles of 52 Woodward Street 
that I have not played hours of basketball on. Claude Acho, who is now planning Redeemer Church in Somerville, came up to kind of scope the place out to see where he was going to plant. I gave him a tour of Revere, Everett, Chelsea, and Malden. And every time we passed the basketball court, I pointed to it and I told him a story about that court. I dunked with two hands on that rim right there. That's the court where I learned to shoot left-handed layups. My brother James and I owned that court. I hit eight threes in a summer league game right over there. You see that spot? That was my spot. He was sick of it by the end of the drive. So I love hoop anytime, anywhere, with anyone. Some of you know this. You can text me any time of the day, any time of the year, any kind of weather, and say, hey, you want to go play some ball, and you will get an immediate response, I'm in. Now, the constitution of this 41-year-old knee right here is a little bit questionable, but there's no hesitation. It's just who I am. Paul is saying that that is what a Christian should be like with good works. An opportunity comes up to do good. You hear of somebody who has a need. Someone asks you if you can give them a hand. Your immediate response is always, immediately, no hesitation, text them back. I'm in. If we were to drive around with somebody in the city or the cities that Jesus calls you to live your life in, you should be able to point to all these places and all these situations and all these relationships where by the grace of God, you did good. Now, I know there are caveats to that. We have to use wisdom in benevolent situations. Not all opportunities are created equal. There are losers in the world who will take advantage of your generosity. I get it. We can talk about those things. But the ground note of the redeemed soul says this, I'm in on doing good. And I have seen that in so many of your lives. Like as soon as I see Ralph and Melissa, I think of this. Ralph and Melissa, there was an opportunity for somebody to love these guys and invite them into the life of the church by getting them from Saugus to Seven Mile Road every Sunday. And Jacob and Amy saw that opportunity and need, and what have they done? They've done good when there's an opportunity to whoever. Do you feel like driving two cars to church every Sunday? It's costly, but it's good. I'll never forget the first email I ever got from Eric Nyland, who's not here today. This young Haitian kid at the high school needed some help to get into college. He had survived the earthquake craziness, and he was just connecting with us, and he emailed, and he was like, Matt, we got to do some good for this family. Do you feel that impulse of the heart, that ground note? As you have opportunity, and it comes before you, anybody, anytime, I'm in doing good. But that's not the whole story of this verse. He doesn't stop writing here. If he left things so abstract and general and conceptual and didn't keep writing, there's a problem that could arise. And here's the clearest way that I could state this problem for you. Everyone in general could easily become 
No one in particular. All right, let's talk about two ways that this could happen. One is paralysis. So this command on its own, with no additional clause and no further clarification, could just cause you to be paralyzed. To just be like, hey, do good at every opportunity to everyone on planet Earth. You could freeze right there. Here's what I mean. Have you ever been in a situation where there were so many choices and so many things in front of you that you didn't know where to start and so you just kind of, you did nothing? Have you ever been in a meeting where you're about to order up some Chinese food and they ask you what you want and you just freeze like that? Okay, have you ever seen the menu from number one taste over here on Franklin Street? It's this tall, there's six pages, and they used size six font. I think there was an option 77D, and then you get a choice of an egg roll or a spring roll or chicken fingers or boneless spare ribs. We were ordering food for a meeting, and Justin was like, hey, what do you want? And I just froze, paralyzed. It's too general. What about the gym? Have you ever had someone to say to you, hey, you really should be working out. And so you decide, all right, I'm going to do this. And you go to the gym and you open the doors and you walk in and you look at the place and you just freeze, right? Dumbfounded. Look at all these different machines, equipment. There's treadmills and there's free weights and there's these other things with pictures and you can't understand them. And this little lady is rolling around on this pink ball or something. And what happens? You just... You don't know where to start, so you just quietly bail out and hold there's no camera that saw you, and you go grab a couple of donuts at Dunkin's. <laughs> Without direction, it's difficult to move. That's what this verse could be like if we left it at that spot right there. I see need on all sides, opportunity everywhere. I've got limited resources and time. I want to be about good, but how do I step in to do this? Okay, so that's one reaction that such a broad and general imperative could trigger, but there's also another one. It's not paralysis, but it is indolence, indolence. Okay, anybody ever heard that word before? I had to look this thing up. Indolence, indolence is like laziness or lethargy. This is exercising the least amount of energy as possible by meeting the most minimum requirements as possible. And you know that generalities and abstractions and vague idealism in the sky, it can breed indolence. And it leaves room for selfish and sneaky people like you and me to deceive ourselves and onlookers into thinking that we did what was required when we, we really didn't. Right, for example, no good middle school teacher ever sends their kids off for the summer and just says to them, hey, make sure you do some reading this summer. Why not? Because what will some kids inevitably do? They will read the back of a cereal box and they will read like some of the street signs then they pass. Then they come to school and the teacher says, 
did you do some reading over the summer? And they will say, absolutely, I did some reading over the summer. That Captain Crunch is one crazy pirate. And when you get to the end of Linden Street before the Wells Fellsway, you need to stop. I read that, S-T-O-P. I did my reading. No good doctor will ever say to you, have you been active this year? Have you been active this year? Now, that's an accurate statement, but it's way too general, right? Because what do some of you people say? Yeah, I've been active. I got to walk to the cabinet to get the glass. Then I got to walk to the fridge to get the milk. Then I got to walk to the pantry to get the Oreos. I'm all over the place. I've been active all summer. You could read this part of the verse and wiggle out of it like that by taking the most general of interpretations and being like, yes, I did good to this one guy this one time this one year. I was doing good to whoever, whenever. In other words, if Paul does not tie this down a little bit for us, this command can easily become just an abstraction. Everyone in general could easily become nobody in particular. And we would love that. We would love that. Let me press this because most of us are incredibly good as westernized, Americanized Christians at assenting to general theological truth up here in our heads but never having that truth come out in our lives and in our hands. This is a specialty of ours. We sit and we listen and we nod our heads in agreement theoretically, but we never move from abstract faith to concrete life. Okay, let me give you an illustration on this. When I, half German, half Puerto Rican, which like it's impossible for me to be a racist, right? There's just no possible way. You ever seen a German-Puerto Rican supremacy group? There is no such thing. But I am also a Western American, right? Grew up in this Bostonian culture. When I led the charge to raise the money to purchase this space and renovate this space, not one dollar came in in cash. Not one dollar. All of it was checks, and online credit card transactions, and there was a wire transfer in there. This was like sexy and new to me. I didn't know about these things. The biggest gift that we received was from someone from out of state, $25,000. He had his financial advisor call me to get the routing number and the checking account number for the church so that he could make that gift to us. That's $25,000 floating abstractly through cyberspace from his account two hours, very abstract, no cash in hand. That was me. Over the last couple of months, our boy Dan Co, Asian American, has been raising money for the relaunch of our Malden church. A couple of weeks ago, he walks in this door and up those steps into a meeting that we're having upstairs, and he drops this envelope on the table, and it's thick. Inside are 100 $100 bills, $10,000 in cash. 
And I was like, who has $10,000 in cash lying around? And Dan said, this is how the old school Koreans do it. They don't do banks. They want the cash concretely in their hands. Now, this still did not make sense to my head, even though I witnessed it until I was reading a novel on the beach this summer. It was called The Ballad of a Small Player. It's about this thieving Englishman who steals all this money and then disappears into the Chinese casino circuit. And he's gambling his life away. It's a little depressing book. And then like two-thirds of the way through, he hits this incredible run on the Baccarat. Is that how you say that? Baccarat tables. He wins, 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 he wins. Ten straight times. He wins $110 million. And at the end of the night, he asks for his winnings in cash. And this is how he explains it, the writer. Seven suitcases of cash were sent up to my room in the morning, just as I had requested. I didn't have a bank account. Everything that I earned had to be converted into cash. The English found this bizarre, but the Chinese sympathized with this. Like many Asians, they feel more comfortable with cash than with abstractions. That's the line that blew me away. Hear it again. More comfortable with cash than with abstractions. You feel that? Don't tell me I got money in the abstract. Cuba Gooding Jr., Jr., show me the money. Okay, this is about, this is where Paul is about to go with you in this text. Doing good cannot be a good intention that you make in your head in the abstract. It must become concrete, real-time good to real people at a real cost to yourself. And so he continues his exhortation with these words. Do good as we have opportunity to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I love that. The word especially in here means particularly, chiefly, most of all, first of all, focus here, start here. Especially who? Those who are of the household of faith, the family of God. So the Spirit uses this metaphor all over your Bible. You just can't miss it if you give yourself to reading this. In the older covenant, you'll be reading and you'll constantly hear this refrain, the house of Israel. When you get to the new covenant, you hear this refrain, the household of faith, always addressed as brothers and sisters. Family. What's the big idea? That God the Father has poured out an elective and adoptive love on some sinners, and He has made them through the work of Jesus Christ, his sons and his daughters. How did this family household thing happen? In Acts 20, Paul says it like this, care for that church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. This household has come into being through the blood of Christ. 
In other words, the members of Jesus' church, I love looking at you guys. They are so precious to the Father that he has done the single greatest act of good that has ever been done for them. For them. He died in their place for their sins that they may become the children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we could be called the children of God. Yes. And now, this is gospel-centered preaching, in light of that massive, redemptive, ultimate good, we keep on doing good, doing good, doing good, doing good to the ones that Jesus has done good for, those whom he has united us to. That's where the doing good in your life begins. Be good to whoever, whenever, absolutely, but especially and chiefly, particularly, do good to these people right here. In other words, everyone in general and Jesus' people in particular. Everybody in general, no hesitation, but making a life of doing it to you guys, to Jesus' people in particular. By addressing this with clarity, Paul eliminates all your wiggle room for paralysis and indolence, doesn't he? No more paralysis. This is Paul in love for you saying, hey, go with the general gal's chicken and the pork fried rice and the spring roll. Thank you. This is Paul walking into the gym and going, that is pathetic. Let's go over to the biceps machine. Here's how you start on this one. This is Paul saying to you, don't miss it today. If you were kind of paralyzed and frozen by the general command to just do good to everybody, now you have the focus that you need. These folks, the ones in your church, the saints of God gathered at Seven Mile Road, the men and women and children in your gospel community, you start right there. You do good to the family of God. No more paralysis. And no more laziness, lethargy, or indolence. This part of the verse is where the rubber meets the road. This is Paul making it real. Why do most people prefer checks and money orders and wire transfers to cash? Why do most people want their money in a bank and not in a mattress or suitcases in their hotel room? Why don't we want cash in our hands? It's the same exact reason that we really don't want to love anybody in particular. There's added stress with cash. There's added work with cash. There's added cost to cash. Really doing real good to real people is very costly work. So Grace helped to babysit for a friend who just needed her help this week. This little guy is learning to be potty trained. 
this little guy also filled his underoos with some serious ripeness. And I did say underoos and not diaper. Do you think Grace needed that that day on top of anything else? Have you ever changed a a three-year-old's underoos filled with poopiness? There's a lot of steps to that, and none of them are pleasant. I've been there. We helped a seven-mile road couple move one time, and when I say one time, it was for the third time. I mean, bro, I'll help you once, and then I'll help you twice. But if I help you a third time, I must be born again. And I nearly lost my son Brandon's head to decapitation because there was this incident with a couch hanging over the third rail of, uh, of the staircase there. You think I needed that that day? I'm just trying to keep these kids alive to 18. Doing good is so noble in the abstract, but it is so costly with your real hands and your real boots to the ground. And in love, Paul says to you, I am not letting you wiggle out of this. You do good to those people right there. Why is this so important? Why is this so crucial that you guys don't miss this? Why did the Spirit inspire Paul to get these words down in Scripture for us? Last big idea. Because the legitimacy of our faith in Jesus the legitimacy of our faith in Jesus is confirmed by concrete acts of love shown toward Jesus' people. That's why this is huge. And especially when they are hard to love or they have nothing to offer you in return. This is why we had McCann read Jesus' teaching from Matthew 25 to open our service today. Jesus is talking with his disciples. He tells them that there will be a day when all of us will be judged before Jesus in perfect justice. And on one side are going to be the sheep, welcomed into the kingdom of God. Hello, this is insanely beautiful. And when Jesus is welcoming them, he will be delineating all of the good things that they had done to him. You fed me, you clothed me, you housed me, you remembered me, you visited me, you loved me in concrete and costly ways when there was no shot of me paying you back. That's the good works I'm talking about today. And then the saints are going to say, Jesus, time out, when did we do these good works to you? And what is Jesus' answer? Check this out. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, Adelphoi, my brothers and sisters, the ones that I have ransomed, the household of God, as you did it to these, the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus is not saying that they have earned their place in heaven by the litany of good works. He's saying that the evidence of their salvation, of their justification, the evidence that they are his and he is theirs, what's the evidence? They did lots and lots of concrete good to the brothers and the sisters, the family, the household of God. 
Does this give some weight to the verse that we're working on together today or what? What a beautiful promise. As we give ourselves to doing good right here, we are building a resume that Jesus will rejoice in forever. But Jesus doesn't stop in that with the beautiful promise, right? Jesus also does what almost no American preacher does. And he moves on to a stern warning. He says on the other side are going to be the goats. Outside of the opportunity to enter the kingdom of heaven forever. And I'm not going to welcome them in. And when they say, whoa, whoa, time out, why not? I'm going to say to them, no good works. No tangible evidence that repentance thoroughgoing repentance and humble trust and faith in me is there. And when they say, wait, 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 look, we've done good works, Girl Scout cookies, the the under 12 item line, the five bucks to every single one of those little things, there's some good works there. What does Jesus say? Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, And again, implied, least of these, my brothers, you did not do it to me. Does that give some weight to the imperative of Paul that we're working on this morning? What a terrifying warning. As we refuse to do good to the ones that Jesus has done ultimate good to, we show that we've never really taken hold of the gospel that we've never humbled ourselves and rightly received his goodness. We show that we have not yet believed. Oh, but Jesus, I loved you in my head, in theory, in the abstract, generally. It doesn't count. I've been at this for 12 years, so I have seen this played out on both sides over and over again. Just an illustration We once had a young man spend a year with us in Sunday services, and he came in confessing Christ, and he came in carrying his Bible. Ooh, that's big, right? And so at the end of that year, we sat with and pressed him to become a member of the church and to give himself to the life of this people and the mission of what was happening. And in that conversation, he declined. And in that conversation and after, we realized that this man had not done one single good work for anyone in the life of this church for a year. He never jumped in to disciple, love, teach, care for our little ones downstairs. He never came early like to clean a bathroom or set up a chair. You know, in those days we were setting up chairs. He never gave anybody a ride to church. He never helped anyone move when we were helping everybody move. He never, like, said to some parents, hey, on a Saturday afternoon, can I take your kids to the park so that you can sleep or just be a normal human for a few minutes? Never gave one dollar. And as we said goodbye, I was terrified as a pastor for his soul. How do you say you have Jesus and you have no affections for Jesus' people? Jesus and Paul say it it doesn't work that way. There is no gospel in the general and the abstract. Show me the money. 
Show me the concrete acts of love to the people that I have loved. Now, praise Jesus, that is not the norm here, right? I just, Jesus warns, I need to warn, but Jesus promises, and I also get to promise. I mean, have you ever seen a group of people ever in your life love one another the way that Seven Mile Road Malden and Seven Mile Road Melrose and Restoration Road Wakefield do it? It's breathtaking. If you gave me a day, I could write all day without stopping, remembering the ways that you have loved one another. I mean, just in this last stretch, right, we have this woman, part of our church, she's in the Malden congregation, she's pregnant with her third baby, and she's just having some serious physical, physiological issues in the last two or three weeks. Do you know who has watched her children from morning until her husband comes home from work every day for two or three weeks? It's been you. It's been you. Meals, reading books, whatever else you've got going on, I'm in. Acts of goodness, deep, holy, costly goodness to the least of these, my sister. She's in a dark spot, right? She's going to be repaying anybody for all of this. Our hearts in this church race to do good to whoever, whenever, and especially to somebody in need in the household of faith. And Jesus, I don't know how this is going to work, right? Time is like a but he's going to remember the summer of 2014 and he's going to be able to say to Kelly and Patty and Amy and whoever else, remember when you watched James win that day? Remember when you cared for Harper that day? You did that to me. You're over here. You've shown that the gospel has taken over your heart. Do good to everyone all the time but especially build that resume of goodness to the household of faith. Okay, simple application to think on this week. First is general. Let's hear the general part. Generally, are you the I'm in person, doing good whenever, wherever? Set your heart to be like your father who sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous all the time, day after day. I'm gonna be the person who does good generally, whenever. But don't stop there. Press on to, I'm going to be the one who does good to this particular people. This is why we press you to become members of the church. That's out of love for you, so that you know the names and the faces that you get to build up a resume of good works rooted in grace to the glory of God. These particular 90 or 100 people, they're the household of faith that Jesus has called me to. Be in a gospel community where you can know names and faces and needs so that you can do good all the time. Not just in a crisis, but as a daily rhythm of your lives. Set your heart and then your hands to doing good. All right, last thing in my prep for you, I just came across this one paragraph. Sometimes this happens to me and I'm just like, why am I preaching? Can I just read that paragraph? So here's Ray Ortland in his book, The Gospel, How the Beauty of Christ Shines Through the Local Church. And this is what he says. This ties everything together, and then I'll pray. The unity of the church, capital C, universal and abstract, becomes our actual experience in the unity of a church, lowercase c, local 
and concrete. In our local churches, what we experience goes beyond our experience with Christians in general. Being part of a church frees us from a vague idealism and gives us real traction for real gospel advance that will matter forever. Those are the words of God to us, and they're true. Let's believe them together. Let's pray. Father, we've got one shot at this, to plant a church that is filled up with good works, rooted in the gospel of grace, rooted in the fact that we have a king who did the ultimate good, the most costly good that there ever was. And so we can be the people who do good and 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 do good to the glory of God. I pray that you would triple the size of this church as the world sees that community different. That community doesn't just talk about things in the sky. And this costly work has been done over and over and over again. Look at how they love one another. I want that. Father, I pray if any of us have been paralyzed or, or lazy about doing good, that we would be energized by the promise of the gospel, that we will stand before you and be welcomed because the legitimacy of our faith in you shows up in real love to one another. Convince us that this is true and do this beautiful work in us. Start with me, I pray. Amen. Amen.